Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Stephen Hurst, Managing Director of Mercanta, the Coffee Hunters, which supplies specialty roasters around the world with the world's very best green coffees. Stephen, hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for coming on the program today. Now, normally we'd get straight over to the subject of leadership, but considering the ongoing COVID outbreak, let's start there. How has okay. this affected your operations? Uh, I suppose it goes without saying quite considerably. Uh, we supply uh, artisan, craft, and specialty coffee roasting companies all over the world, uh, here in the UK and uh, and uh, all over. And those companies in turn supply the uh, out-of-home cafe, restaurant, hotel sector. So that sector has been very badly affected by COVID closures. And in turn, it's just come back to to visit our clients and and thus ourselves. And let's talk a bit about how you've had to adapt during this period of time. Uh, Did you have many difficulties in your supply chain? No, it's one of the things... The supply chain management of, of buying uh, raw, unroasted coffee beans is is kind of complex anyway, and certainly COVID didn't make it any less so complex. Uh, however, the major challenges are really uh, demand side in terms of falling demand and uh, and you know coffee roasting companies being closed, their clients being closed or very very limited capacity. From the supply side. I wouldn't say we've had the same problems as we, we usually have, but it's almost a little bit like that. We we move coffees from complex inland locations. Uh, we we move coffees from developing countries prone to all kinds of uh, strikes and accidents and uh, and natural disasters and things like this. So specifically, we've had some COVID problems uh, on the supply side. For instance, uh, trucks getting stuck at borders because they can't cross and uh, and things like this. But by and large, it's not a big wholesale problem on the supply side. Now, each week on the podcast, we like to touch on a specific topical matter. And this week, it dovetails quite well into what we're discussing already. Um, We're trying to find the silver lining to what has been an enormously dark and dense cloud. So can you tell us about any positives you or your organizations have managed uh, to take from the past few months? Yeah, that's quite a good question, really, because I've I've been asking myself that. Uh, some of the things that have happened, a big massive switch to, uh, if you like, in-home consumption. Uh, perhaps drink coffee drinkers and consumers have uh, become a bit more discerning, which is very very good for uh, for the kind of uh, the quality of coffee beans that we supply. So there's been a positive uh, outcome from that. We've had some of our clients who are considering rationalizing the uh, number of product lines they have that have been changed their minds because the grocery and retail sales have been so good that these lines have been uh, continued where they might have been discontinued. And we found ways to adapt our business, which has a lot of, um, if you like, laboratory tasting and cupping, which is something that's really been badly affected by COVID. We've been able to adapt protocols uh, to, to deal with that, including yesterday actually having a what I call a virtual cupping, a Google Teams cupping with a, with a, one of our suppliers in Brazil. So their lab was on the line with our lab here in in Kingston, and we did a live coffee tasting with a with a company tens of thousands of kilometers away. 
Well, that is an interesting development, and it will be interesting to see how things develop in the coming weeks and months. Uh, but we should move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start uh, this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? You know, I've been thinking about that, having listening to some of the other podcasts before, and it's kind of a, I don't know, it's not an easy answer. I suppose for me, a leader is somebody who would take uh, the tough decisions, and that comes to the fore very much so in these times. Uh, I think it's very difficult to be uh, a true leader and, and being sort of, if you like, universally popular. You'll have to take decisions for your company uh, that are that are difficult, that are not perhaps universally popular. So one of the uh, definitions of a leader would be somebody who is prepared to be you know, as fair and reasonable as possible, but also to be able to make a decision that, that simply isn't universally very popular. Uh, also, leading, leadership by example is, is another thing. It's uh, not sort of um, just sitting, uh, deploying people and, and sort of telling telling people what to do, but actually uh, acting on these things yourself and sort of leading by example would be would be a good way of describing it. How would you describe your day-to-day leadership style? Uh, we work in a – our business is really um, unusual in that we're a rel- relatively smallish company, but we're located our, – our staff are located in about five or six different locations. We have uh, offices and coffee labs in Seattle, Dubai, Glasgow, Kingston-upon-Thames, uh, Singapore. So the style of trying to make sure that's inclusive is very uh, challenging, you know, to make sure that everybody's uh, up to date and to keep everybody in the loop. Um, I try to be very inclusive. Um, I'm pretty much hands-on. I'm involved in uh, looking after some of our, our customer accounts myself. Uh, I, I'm very much in, involved in the day-to-day lap tastings and coffee tastings that we do and uh, strategy planning and things like that. But one of the biggest issues for, for my firm is the geographical and uh, partly cultural diversity of our small team of about 23 people, which are actually located in, in six different places and multiple time zones. And, uh, and that kind of management is, is quite, uh, quite challenging. Well, let's talk a bit about uh, where your leadership came from. Uh, did you have a particular role model or were you shaped more by circumstance? Probably more by circumstance, um, you know, it's quite a lot. It sounds a bit bizarre, but a lot of uh, self-taught stuff. I know when I started Mertanta in 1996, I'll remember very, very clearly uh, three salutary lessons that I learned at the, at the hard way uh, in the early days of the business. My old boss back, I worked for um, American Investment Bank in the past. I worked for Goldman Sachs for 11 years uh, as a commodity trader for for that bank, and uh, my old boss there was uh, was a character I took um, quite a lot of uh, you know inspiration from. He was very tough um, and very sort of uh, I wouldn't say difficult, but he was uh, you know, but he was very very fair, and I and I, I learned a lot about sort of management style from him, I suppose. But when I started my business, uh, the best lessons I learned were the were the ones where we they were almost disastrous, quite frankly. And uh, those were those were I can think of three salutary lessons in, in that sense after I'd started Mercanta twenty five years ago. Now when we talk about leadership, often uh, we have to talk about the uh, the positives, but let's talk a bit about uh, some of the negatives. How do you deal uh, with conflict within the workplace? 
<laughs> the easy answer is probably not very well, but <laughs> I, <you> know, <laughs> conflict is, I don't know. It's, it's something people um, don't naturally want to get involved in difficult situations. It could range from somebody you know, asking for a holiday off at a very inopportune time or, or, or might even say unreasonable, but for the person asking, it's completely reasonable, but for the business, it might not be good. And it can come down to really difficult uh, sort of, if you like, ethical uh, discussions or, or, or manner of doing business. I've always felt that doing business well, um, it sounds a little bit vague, but we've built ethics into what we do in terms of what we pay for coffees at origin and things like that. And that actually comes back to, to credit you later on in, uh, in sometimes very unspecified ways. We've, we've had a, uh, an ethical buying policy in place for years. In fact, longer than a lot of companies have been talking about things like sustainability and, and ethics and purchasing. We've been doing that because it's actually also good business in a, in a sense that if our suppliers our coffee farms and our, our, the, the, the coffee producers we deal with all over the world, if they're doing well, they can continue to invest in their farms and communities, their families. And uh, the, the word sustainability takes on a real meaning when we see the uh, the impact of positive purchasing uh, in developing countries uh, that we've been doing the world over, uh, in some cases, for decades. Uh, so before sort of ethics and sustainability and purchasing became a big buzzword. We were doing that because it actually was good business as well. Now, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months look like for Mercanta? Well, that's a great crystal ball question, that one. I'd love to say I'd like to get back to normal. I have no idea what normal means anymore. Uh, I'm not sure anybody does. We're probably at something like 75 to 80 percent of what we would be hoping for in terms of global sales. Some markets are more impacted than others. I would like to really see a return to um, the upward path that uh, the specialty and uh, an artisan type of coffees was, was having pre-COVID. There was quite a buoyant growth. There was a great deal of excitement around the sector. And uh, I'd love to see that to come back to that. Uh, you know, it's really difficult to know what COVID's impact will be in the medium and longer term. At the moment, we're we're back to about 75 to 80% of what we might hope. And I'd love to see in 2021 back to the upward trajectory we saw prior to COVID. Well, Stephen, I'd like to thank you once again for coming on the program. It's been a pleasure having you, and we have to have you back when things get back to normal. But for now, Stephen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to speak to you. That was Stephen Hurst, Managing Director of Mercanta, the Coffee Hunters. And now from one Hurst to another, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me who realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. 
Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the colour of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, 
Uh, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially going to say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them 
And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year and they've gone fairly well and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows in fact starting this week over the next uh, two or three months and uh, at the end of the theatre shows we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions and the, the, there's I won't mention both they're too long to talk about both questions um, one the other one's a really stupid one it's too long for me to tell you it's absolutely ridiculous yeah. but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be, it's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses itself, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. (laughs) 
what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well 
he's the best example of management I think we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today yes I think so I think yes no, mm. no question at all I think they uh, Ron Greenwood yeah well, the, the answer is straightforward the answer is yes um, good they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, so many, yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I'm... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude (laughs) alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if 
these top managers and lead- leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm. I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.